behind every great book, even the spookiest ones, there's an author with a great story. I'm Callie Youngstrom, and this is Keep Yourself Well. My guest today is not only fascinated by ghost stories and crime fiction, but has had the great fortune of writing both for her entire adult life. After almost two decades as a newspaper crime reporter in Canada, H.P. Bain is the pen name for Saskatchewan-based author Heather Polishek. Raised on a farm on the prairies, she's used words to explore the world around her, both in the courtroom and now in worlds created in her imagination. But it's not all spooky murder, mystery, and ghosts. Heather also loves to read, draw portraits, travel, and spend time with her friends and family. Let's get into it. Hi, Heather. Thank you so much for being here. Welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Well, it is my absolute pleasure. And I always start the podcast with the very broad question of how do you keep yourself well? Um, I guess it depends how we're speaking. I, I know there's two types of well. There's physical wellness and then there's the mental, you know, and spiritual wellness, I guess you could say. Um, I think on the physical side, I'm over 40 so there's definitely more challenges now to the physical side of health uh, for me than there used to be I've um, sort of sadly when I hit 40 I started to find that oh boy I have to go to chiropractors and physiotherapists and I've never had to do that in my life it was just sort of funny um, and I think partially quite frankly it's it's you know working a desk job is one of those things that's tough for a person. And it wasn't that I was always behind a desk. Um, but when I wasn't behind a desk, I was in a courthouse, kind of, because that's what I was doing. I was a, I was a crime reporter. Um, and then at home, I was also kind of sitting because I was writing creatively in my spare time. So yeah, unfortunately, all of that sitting does a number on the body. And it didn't matter how much exercise somehow, because I did. I was pretty religious with my exercise for many, many years. But as soon as I hit 40, it was like my body just sort of said, no, that's not going to work so well anymore. So I've kind of had to pack in my um, the exercises that I used to do, which was, uh, you know, typo and jogging or running and um uh, you know, some of some of the more intense things that I was doing, I suppose. So um, I've kind of tried to maneuver a little bit more toward yoga, which is what I'd been also doing for years. But I don't know, I'm, I'm trying some other things now just to get that part on track. But um, yeah, so that from the physical side, I guess, uh, in terms of the other um, mental health perspective, um, definitely, I'm, I'm doing well that way. I was working in a pretty tough job for a long time um again crime reporting can be pretty mentally draining um so I do find that now that I'm not doing it anymore definitely my mental health has improved it's it's uh, a huge difference so yeah definitely um notices some difference there once I left that job so yeah well and I love that you're honoring your body and you know highlighting exercise doesn't have to look a certain type of way. And I think uh, I always say, you know, we say comparison is the thief of joy, often with other people, but I think also in, you know, different iterations of 
ourselves. You know, your body is not necessarily the same body now and is asking for something else. And you're honoring that and bringing in a wellness team, which I think is a really great aspect of keeping yourself well, uh, you know, as well, bringing in that support system with Cairo and physio. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's definitely a challenge. Like I find, I find for me that that is the struggle as as I get older, it's trying to figure out um, <laughs> kind of who I am and what I am as I'm as you know, I think there's there's definitely that mental side of that but I find physically because um, I grew up on a farm so I was always very physically active since I was a kid Um, it's you know very physical place to grow up I mean we were always you know doing physical chores and helping out around the farm and you know lots of heavy lifting involved and um, helping out with with various tasks so it was definitely that and then like I say on top of that there was the exercise um routine that I kind of had for myself. So it's definitely a challenge trying to figure out now that I'm 40 and my body's just not working the way it did. (laughs) Having, I guess, sort of forgiving myself a little bit for falling apart because it's sort of what it feels like sometimes to me that I'm like, what's happening? Yeah. Giving yourself grace just to honor that change and find things like yoga and other forms of movement that support you with where you're at right now and your mental health, which I mean, I'm just so thrilled to hear that that's improved with this career change because how many years were you doing crime reporting I was doing it for it was approximately 21 years I guess so yeah so it was 2021 depends how you kind of look at it but in that range anyway so So, long time what inspired you to become a reporter and how did you end up specializing into that niche of crime reporting um, well, it's it's kind of a bit of a story because I, I guess, well, I love stories, obviously. <laughs> it's my job. Um, but when I've been writing since I was kind of like really small, I was sort of joke since like the time I could spell, I've been writing. But um, so I think the trick was for me as I got older, trying to, you know, figure out, okay, what am I gonna do with this? Like, you know, because that's the all I've ever wanted to do was write. So um at that time, I know when I was in university, um, the the sort of challenge for me was figuring out, okay, where am I going to go with this? There wasn't really a um, a place to sort of make a career for me at that time of professional, like of creative writing, um, novel writing, which is what I was always doing since, you know, I was in, a, in my teens, basically. So my parents had kind of, um, kind of, geared me toward journalism as a as a potential uh, career uh, I grew up I basically my whole family we're kind of all news junkies like we've always got like news on anyway so it sort of felt like yeah okay you know that might be a really good option it's something I hadn't thought about um, so yeah anyway I went to journalism school in Regina um, after uh, the U of S I have a degree there in political studies which I thought would help me get in the door to J school um, and so, yeah, anyway, so I started um, in Prince Albert, actually, at the paper, the Daily Herald there, in, I think, <laughs> it's terrible, 2000. Um, so, yeah, anyway, I, just really the first thing when I got there, I really just lucked into court reporting. Like, it was the, the person who had just left that, um, that I was replacing had been the court reporter there and I just I I don't know it was it was the actually sort of 
like I say, locked into it because that was the only, I think, area that I was really particularly interested in covering. Despite the fact I have a political studies degree, I'm not actually all that, you know, interested in covering politics. I find politics fascinating. I just, I'm not really, that wasn't really what I wanted to cover. I find crime fascinating. So, um, and kind of had for quite some time, even before I started the job. So I just found, I just sort of say I lucked into it. I mean, I loved, I, I you know, I did love covering crime. There was, there's no question. It's just... Yeah, the, despite that, there were still, you know, challenges to doing it, obviously. So, well, was, I don't know. Hopefully that answers your question. Yeah, it was perfect timing, perfect time, perfect place. So where did your career lead you from Prince Albert on for those 20 years? Yeah, so I worked in Prince Albert for three and a half years, approximately. Um, and at that point, I basically burned out. It was a, a three and a half. I, it was a fantastic place to start. I mean, he really did get thrown into the job, um, kind of off, you know, into the deep end. You were just, you know, walking in the door is such a busy newsroom, a busy city, especially when you're covering, you know, courts and crime, you've got, you know, you've got the provincial court, you've got the Queens bench court, you've got penitentiary court. Plus I was doing like corrections stuff. So I was covering, you know, you've got SAS Penn, you've got Pine Grove, you've got, you know, the men's uh, provincial jail. I mean, it was just like, you know, youth facility. So there was just so much stuff to do. And and I just had, you know, I just felt like, I mean, I loved it. Um, but by the time I got to about three and a half years, I was just like, I'm, I don't think I can do this anymore. Like I just had sort of hit the breaking point where it was just, you can only work yourself for so long at that pace before you just kind of at least for me, I mean, maybe so lots of people can do more than I guess could at that time, but I definitely hit the, I hit my wall basically. Oh. So after three and a half years, I was like, okay, I just can't do it anymore. Um, at that point, I didn't think I'd ever go back to journalism. So I, I always sort of joke that I ran away from home. <laughs> I, I didn't really, I, I just, uh, I wanted to travel. And so I, I thought, okay, I need to go somewhere. I can just relax for a little while. And so um I actually moved to Scotland for a year, which is lovely, absolutely lovely. Oh and God, I literally just got home from Scotland last week. Did you? That was awesome. I know I'm heading back there too in September. I try to go back every few years to visit yeah. friends. So it's so, yeah, it's so lovely. So yeah, that was, was kind of my gap year. Um, I didn't really run away. Everybody knew where I was going, but <laughs> joke. Disclosure was there. It was totally. Um so no, it was fantastic. I just went over there for a year and I just worked at just fun jobs. I, I worked briefly at a, you know, I worked at a pub. I worked, I trained as a ghost tour guide, which was so much fun. Um, I've done a Scottish ghost tour. Oh, you oh, have to do them when you're there. You totally do. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, and then I worked at just Licenza, like sold lingerie for nine months, I think for a while. So it was, and I, I mean, I made some great friends. It was just a fun time. I purposely did not go over there seeking a job, you know, in journalism or anything. I did some office work here and there, just, just little stuff. And it was, it was amazing. So actually by the time I was ready to come back, um, I was ready to get back into journalism. It was just, I essentially kind of healed, I think myself over that period of time. And I had found that energy and that enthusiasm again. So I came back and I, um, there was a, a maternity 
uh, leave posting at the Regina Leader Post. So um, yeah, I applied and was lucky enough to get it. And sort of after that, that's just where I ended up. So that's where I was until I left that job. So yeah. Get ready to savor the flavors of summer with a guilt-free indulgence at Sweet and Sprouted. Their irresistible selection of sugar-free delights will make your taste buds dance with joy while keeping you on track with your sugar-free and low-carb lifestyle. Quench your thirst and stay refreshed on a hot day with their luscious smoothies, indulgent decadent desserts that are not only delicious, but also free from added sugar. Say goodbye to cravings with easy on point summer snacking. Lazy summer days also call for convenience and Sweet and Sprouted has you covered. Explore their wide range of keto friendly snacks and bevies that will keep you energized and satisfied while you're on the go. Visit sweetensprouted.com today and use promo code wellness10 to enjoy a sweet 10% discount on your order. Visit sweetensprouted.com today and use promo code wellness10. Plus, take advantage of free shipping on orders over $150. Now that's what we call a sweet deal. Can't wait to taste the sweetness in person? Visit their store in Saskatoon and let their amazing staff help you find the perfect summer treats. So do you think leading to that burnout, it was the quantity of work or more the weight of the topics? Like you said, I can only imagine that's very draining on your mental health what was the catalyst? I think at that time I was, I find, I think at that time it was definitely the quantity of work. I think at that time I was a lot better. I don't know if I want to say better. It's not necessarily the right way to put it. I, I think the way I describe covering court, I remember somebody um, I talked to, I did a story or a number of stories over the years on um, operational stress injury uh, with emergency workers. Um, I knew a few police officers with PTSD issues. And um, I, I remember somebody describing to me the whole, the idea basically of the the drop in the bucket sort of thing. There's some people who would have like in, in emergency services who would have something where, you know, they'd attend a really traumatic call and they would develop, you know, PTSD or or like an operational stress injury as a result of one call but lots of times what happens is that over your career every little thing you you deal with that's stressful um it just is like a drop in the bucket and so really that's more what happened to me it wasn't I'm not sort of for a moment equating necessarily my not want to equate myself with emergency services or anything like that I'm just saying my experience was sort of in that sense similar that um, over time just things built up um, in that job and so by the time I left I just thought I, I can't do it anymore like I, I just you know I'd seen some pretty awful stuff over that period of time and I'd covered some really really horrific cases um, within the last few years that I was there and it just came to the point I thought I just I can't do this anymore like that it wasn't the only reason I left but that contributed for sure yeah a combination of the quantity and type of work well I think absolutely that just progressive build up and you know the drop in the bucket I think is a great analogy it's just you're immersed in the worst of the worst essentially 
every day. I can only imagine how draining that is. So when you came back after that refresh in Scotland, do you feel like you came to your new position with some tools in terms of boundaries, leaving your work at work, new like skills and tools to kind of deal with the weight of that cognitive piece? Yeah, like I, I feel like I was really good at dealing with that stuff um, for the most part. Like there, there were always cases. I, I found, you know, child abuse cases, animal cruelty cases. I mean, you know, some of the homicide cases, especially domestic stuff, some of that stuff would would bother me, I think, as it would bother anybody. And I would just know going into some of those cases that I expected. I knew myself well enough to know, okay, generally two weeks was was my thing. <laughs> if I was covering a child abuse case, I knew I would be angry for two weeks after. Oh. Um, so I just, I knew myself well enough and I knew that how how I would kind of process it and deal with it. So I was good at knowing, I guess I was good at understanding my own boundaries and my own um, kind of how I worked sort of thing. So yeah. I, I kind of knew what to expect. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think that, um, yeah, like I think I was generally pretty good at that stuff. It's just like they're they're just, you know, everybody's got limits and I just sort of <laughs> get some later on. So yeah. Well, and I think too, like comes with your ability to deal with it and manage it and, you know, your tolerance to it likely shifted with maturity as well as experience and, you know, going through those cases. So at what point did you know it was time to leave and embrace authorship, which is such an exciting yeah. career shift? Yeah. Um, well, I think in part it was like I sort of said, I think there were some cases that were just getting particularly awful. I remember actually talking to um, somebody I knew in major crimes with the city police at that time. We were just chatting in the hallway at court as you sometimes do. And I remember talking to him at that point about the nature of the cases that were coming up, like the homicides. And we just sort of looked at each other and we were like, do you feel like this stuff's just getting worse? And I think we both sort of was like, yeah, it just feels like the, 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 some of those, some of the stuff was just so horrific, like just the nature of it. Um, that so much more brutal than some of the other stuff and I mean that does sort of wear on you so some of it was that it just felt like there were some cases that were just really hard to process um there was also we were also dealing it was a time of COVID right so it's like there was the added stress of the COVID stuff then there was maybe that came from the COVID thing but just people were just angrier people were nastier I was getting so many of like we're getting so many abusive not just me I mean anybody works in the news understands this we were just getting so much abuse um it wasn't just you know I was getting lots through email I was getting some sort of threatening stuff uh you go out to things people are openly nasty I mean it's just you know and that was exhausting too so it was like okay now I've got to deal with the exhaustion of yeah. these awful court things and when I go to something unrelated to court thinking okay I'll have a bit of a you know a break from it you sometimes you still run into that you know a different sort of nastiness and it's just yeah it just felt like you know there was just so much of it already yeah oh I'm sorry so, well, I'm sure yeah it is the security <laughs> that's lost which is scary yeah like there's there is some of that I mean I I coped with that pretty well for the most part just because of 
Um, I think covering court really prepared me a lot for the safety aspect. Cause I mean, I, I dealt with people, you know, obviously, um, kind of being threatening or abusive <laughs> as a matter of course. I mean, people, people just tend to be obviously more on edge, um, um, emotions run a lot higher, uh, in court cases than, you know, in, in criminal matters, I think, than they might in, you know, say going to the legislature or something, right? I mean, people in court just are obviously there. It's, you know, police will often say, you know, that they end up having to deal with people on the worst day of their life a lot of the time, which is true. And, you know, in some, to some extent when they're coming to court, it's another worst day of their life. So you're kind of getting people when they're, at their worst, um, you know, whether you're talking about the victim side or the offender side, it's it's very it's a very stressful situation for everybody, and it's easy to brush off, you know, when people are angry at you as a reporter. You, you can understand why, you know, where it's coming from. So, I was pretty good at dealing with that side of things. But like I said, if it was court related, I got it. I understood where it's coming from. But when it wasn't court related, it was just some random schmo on the street who was like just being a complete jerk. Like I was like, oh, what for? Your so, level yeah. of tolerance sounds very <laughs> high. So how did you make that shift from, I mean, you know, decades of doing that to becoming a published author? How did you begin to make that transition? Well, I mean, I should point out, I know when we were talking, and I should have brought that up at that point, we were talking about coping mechanisms. One of my biggest, big coping mechanisms over the years was always writing. I mean, as a writer, you know, there there's obviously the writing for the job. But then when I would go home, I had the creative writing. I never stopped doing it. It was always there, like always. So um like I wrote crime fiction in my spare time, just just for fun. I never meant to do anything with it. It was just like a hobby. It was just something that um, I just did, I guess, partially for fun. And then as I kind of got um, more experienced with crime reporting, I actually started to find I was almost doing it just for a mental health sort of thing, too, because it was like I wasn't writing about the cases that I covered because I, I just have never personally been comfortable with that. But I I did... Um, there were certain feelings that went with cases, you know, you'd, you'd see the things that a family would go through in court or something. And those were, those things would really stick with me and bother me um, sometimes. And I just felt like putting it onto paper in a creative form and just sort of, you know, encapsulating those emotions and giving them to a character, you know, and just writing them out just really helped to help me to process, I think, some of the things I was seeing. Um, and watching other people go through because I'm a, I'm a really empathetic person or like almost like an empathic person in a sense like I do feel really deeply when somebody else is suffering and I think that's partially why I gravitated toward journalism anyway was you know to give people that voice and do my help help to I think um, uh, let people sort of give them a, an avenue to speak and share their their pain and share what they're going through so for me, just as a way for me to sort of release my own pain as a result, it was just through creative writing. Um, so I just sort of hit the point where it was like, um, one of my colleagues, Andy Cooper, who I, I always credit because uh, he he was sort of the impetus. He pushed me toward um, self-publishing. He said, why don't you publish some of this? Like, I think everybody knew I wrote in my spare time at the paper. And he kept saying, you know, why don't you like try to publish something, some of it? And he sort of pushed me toward um, just some some podcasts and and um, 
something like self-publishing formula, which is a course taught by Mark Dawson, who's a um, independent author of thrillers. And um, anyway, so I, I did, I started looking into it. And at that point, I think I was already kind of moving toward, uh, you know, I think that was around 2017. So it was some time before I left, but I was already kind of getting a little burned out, I think at that point. So I did, I checked into it. I hadn't at the time really meant to turn it into a career. I just thought, okay, well, something I could, maybe I could publish something. And, and as, yeah, as I started to move down that path and discovered, wait, people are actually buying what I'm reading or what I'm writing. Um, I thought, well, yeah, I guess I, I can turn this into a career. So um, yeah, basically it just happened at the right time. It was just, I was at that, the, by the time I was making um, an equivalent amount of money at my, my books or, or a little bit better than actually I was making at the, at the paper um, at that point that just sort of coincided with the point in my life where I was like, I need to make a change. So it worked out really well. Wow. So did you go straight to print or were you publishing virtually originally? Oh, like for the books? Mm -hmm. Um. Well, so I, I published through basically the books Um, the, because of the genre they are. I've got them um, available um, exclusive to Amazon because they're in the Kindle Unlimited program. So the uh, electronic versions are all exclusive to Amazon because they're in that program. Um, I do have paperback versions as well. Um, so I just made it at that time when I when I did the ebook, I automatically did a paperback version as well. I just did both at the same time. And I've actually got audiobooks now of the first seven books and I'm working on like so the whole first series is all audio as well. Um, and then I've started the uh, narrator producer that I have for those is uh, working now in my second series that I've uh, been publishing. Wow. So so it's been, yeah, so it's good. I've got a, a few different products out there now. So yeah. It's incredible. Congratulations. And thank you. I mean, true crime is like just such a popular genre these days. And I feel like you having worked in the reality of true crime and now making this adjustment, you know, you've really seen it through and through. And I would love to know what you think, like, I don't know how to say it. like, does it live up to the hype? Because I listen to, you know, the true crime podcasts and everything. And I think sometimes it can almost be romanticized in the fact of, you know, these are, this is real life and like people's lives are being um, affected. What do like, what do you think readers and listeners, you know, not experience that you would have experienced as a reporter? And what do you think about the like popularity of true crime as a genre versus now what you're doing which is like the you know fictionalized version right yeah you know that's one of the things I know um while I was working at the paper like a couple of my colleagues who are also crime reporters had put out a series of of books based on um unusual uh you know Saskatchewan crime stories so a bunch of short like uh Barpaholic and Jana Pruden um, so they'd published these, these, uh, this trio of books that are really fantastic. I mean, they just have all these little short stories, um, uh, you know, featuring like actual episodes of, you know, with throughout Saskatchewan history and some of our, our kind of more unusual um, uh, or bigger, uh, I guess, court cases through uh, and crime cases over the years. So I know I used to get like people at court saying, when are you doing a, you know, your true crime <laughs> book? And I just like, 
I, I've honestly, I've never had a desire to do one. I just don't want to write true crime. Like I, I know it's, I, I think it's fascinating. Don't get me wrong, but I feel like for me, like I kind of lived and breathed it as a job. And I just felt like in my spare time, I didn't want to do it. I just thought I just, when I go home, I don't want to do real stuff. Like I, I feel like there's a certain escapism for me and, and, pursuing sort of the fictional aspect of it and I I totally get it I mean I I watch I've watched some of those true crime like um documentaries and things on Netflix and the like um honestly though I don't watch nearly as many as most people I don't listen to true crime podcasts um and it's not because I've got a problem with them I definitely don't I think that they're fascinating and I think that there's you know certainly maybe it's a way for people to kind of um explore safely i think some of the the issues um that factor into crime but i think just for me like i just like oh just i find it so draining maybe and i don't know if it's still the result of just having worked in that job for as long as i did and just having kind of burned out but i just do i find it draining to watch them and listen to them so i just don't and it's not yeah, like as maybe one day I will. And there certainly are the ones that I have watched because I do find some of those cases so fascinating and who can help <laughs> check out some of them. But I, I don't know. I just I have a hard time now. I think part of it for me is like, I mean, for instance, there was the one on I think there was that one on Paul Bernardo and, and those cases. And I, I just couldn't watch it. I part of it was I, I remember that happening and I just. I, I just I don't know I just I can't <laughs> I just can't sort of um watch watch it I think is just part of that and the other aspect is I think for me when you've talked to families um who have lost um their children to homicide and to some you know other uh sometimes with with those types of circumstances involved I don't know I, I just I have a hard time watching them without kind mm -hmm. of that coming back because I know I've I've have talked to a lot of families who've been in um, some really horrific circumstances uh, having to bury children and it's just I don't know it, it's one of those things that just never leaves a person when you when you sit down with a family like that and you would sit down in their living room with them and they're you know and you see somebody that broken as anybody who's lost a child I mean not just a homicide but anyone who's lost a child to anything I mean that amount of heartbreak I just I I can't I just have never done well with where to put it you know and well, so it's like imagine. yeah well and you didn't have the choice right like you were immersed in it every single day right. the people who aren't immersed in it every day you know get to choose to bring that into their world by listening to a podcast or yeah. watching a documentary and I've heard you know many reports of families being upset that they've been featured in a podcast without permission and it's not dust that they want kicked up as well, you know, like trying to heal. So I can respect that. And I feel like then the fictional side, of course, would become such a great outlet. And so you're on to book 14, which I is, think I'm, <laughs> I think I'm, oh yeah. on the second series. Yeah. I oh, think yeah. I'm on, I think, oh, yeah, I've got 15, I think is, is on pre-order now or something. And then I've got another series, which is seven books. So I think I'm something on like 21 altogether or something like that. Anyway, so that's quite, quite a few. So were, was that, were you working on these series 
previously while you were still reporting or is this all new writing since you finished that career or was this like a series you had brewing while you were still reporting you know oddly enough like I'd just been I'd been writing just basic crime fiction for my you know since I was in my late teens probably like just standard crime fiction I just love that stuff that's all I read I read like you know I, I love like British crime um well British crime dramas on tv but I I read like all the like you know all sorts of British crime authors right so I I you know I obviously I don't feel comfortable writing in British <laughs> despite the fact that I've lived there a bit I feel a little bit awkward writing about someone else's country but um I'd been writing like um a series about you know some Regina police officers so I just thought it would be kind of like a kind of you know your typical murder of the week sort of thing you might want to call it but so I'd been writing just sort of standard mysteries but then when I was looking into self-publishing I sort of discovered this um untapped niche that was like um go that had like it was crime fiction but with ghosts <laughs> like and I've always loved ghost stories I, I love I've been since I was a kid I've just been fascinated with ghosts and I thought why don't I stick some ghosts in there? Like, just just try it out and see. And I, I mean, so yeah, basically, when I started to um, get into self publishing, that's when I started to write these books um, featuring this this psychic who sees homicide victims, the ghosts of homicide victims. Um, so yeah, it's it's sort of it's funny. Like, I think if I had gone the other route, if I had decided to go ahead and publish just my basic crime fiction it's almost like screaming into the wind a little bit like there's so much there's so much um just standard crime fiction out there that it's really hard to be seen but because I'm kind of writing in this really like little niche genre I, I sort of found this little very very hungry audience and that's made all the difference for me between you know um sort of staying in a, in a situation I couldn't sort of stay in any longer and being able to leave and do this other job which is like my dream job and has been since I was a kid so uh, so I just I really I don't know I feel like I kind of lucked into it in, in a sense I mean it did involve a lot of research and um, sort of genre research and looking into what was uh, kind of what the market looked like and so I did all that but um it just I I feel like I lucked out in the sense that okay I can combine two things I find fascinating, um you know crime and <laughs> the paranormal, and turn it into something that people want to buy. So yeah, really its own niche. So and I mean the character that you mentioned Sullivan Gray is just yeah. so interesting. So this medium that can see the ghosts of homicide victims. What? inspired that character how did that come to fruition as the main character for you like I can't imagine that type of character development to to continue on with you for so many books with the series yeah it was it was kind of I I remember sort of you know he just kind of popped into my head really I sort of had this like little suddenly I was starting to come up with something and I had kind of had this this idea for this character and I just had this sort of image of this guy kind of you know in my head and and so I just sort of sat down and it took a little while I I remember I think I wrote the first few chapters a few times before I really found that kind of well I needed the second character who turned out to be you know this this foster brother um but yeah it took a little bit of work to sort of figure it out because it was a brand new thing and you know and took a little while to find his voice I I 
I know there's there's sort of this um this pattern of having like main characters in I think that genre who are really kind of this you know cocky and you know sarcastic and have this whole really really cool sort of thing to them but I I kind of had you know Sully for me was like really shy and like this this kind of this kid who I mean when you think about it somebody who's been seeing ghosts since they were a kid like you've got to I just think you okay you'd probably be pretty like messed up about it right so um especially when they're all homicide victims like ugh. like I mean I've seen so many autopsy photos I, I mean I I know how horrific that is just looking at those and I, I was thinking boy if I've got this character who's been seeing these um people as spirits since he was a kid like ugh, I mean that would do a number on a person so I kind of had this you know envisioned him as being a very kind of introverted um thoughtful um sensitive person and I feel like that that actually ended up resonating with my readers. I think that I've created somebody who wasn't really kind of maybe what you're typically seeing um, in some of the books in that genre. So, um, so yeah, it was just, it was kind of a bit of a work in progress for a while, me trying to find out who he was and figure that out. And once I got there, it was, yeah, it was, it was good. Once I figured that out, it seemed to work well. So. Well, and I can imagine getting like, I, you know, even everyone I'm sure can relate to like writing a paper in school and the committing to a topic and a theme and, you know, let alone committing to this character development who now is like, you know, the base that once you flush it out is is really going to stick with you. So the new book is House of Mirrors. Yeah, that one's just coming out. Yeah. Okay. So tell me about that book. What's it about? Um. So that's, it's this, um, it's part of the second, the current series, which is the Braddock and Gray case files. So I think it's book, I forget, I should have looked. I think it's book 15, I want to say, in that series. Um, so it's it's the way I wanted to structure that series, because the first one, the Sullivan Gray series was the first one. It's a seven book one. And it's it's essentially kind of a bit of an epic thing. So you kind of have to read that one in order to kind of stay. It's got this whole undercurrent under, um, story arc that runs underneath it. Uh, as an undercurrent and I kind of wanted the Braddock and Gray case files just to be a bunch of standalone books like ones that anybody can just pick up and read because I honestly I didn't think it was going to even go that long I just I had people after the first seven books and were writing to me going like please say you're continuing with this character oh. so I hadn't really thought about it and I thought okay well I I can do that so yeah so basically House of Mirrors is just along that line it's just another <laughs> another one of these books that's just like a standalone type of thing so I wanted to sort of explore the whole haunted fairground thing I just I don't know I just find there's something creepy about some of the <laughs> fairgrounds and yeah. sometimes especially and this is um you know one of those sort of haunted house type of mazes and you know so okay. I've thought gotta throw a ghost in there what the heck so yeah it's it's uh -huh. um yeah, I, I try tried it with most of the books. I mean, I, I know they're 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 fun. I mean, they're they're intended to be kind of a fun read, as I think lots of crime fiction is. I mean, it's just sort of a, a, a bit of an escape, I think, for people. And but at the same time, I always really do try to explore legitimate emotions that occur around um, around crimes and you know legitimate reasons for crimes being committed. So I definitely tried to touch on on some of that as well in this as I always do so um so anyway yeah it's just your standard thing I've got Sully and his brother who are private investigators um kind of uh, looking into this 
um, this ghost that Sully sees. And of course, <laughs> yeah, they kind of, you know, have to, as usual, it's kind of, you know, they get that they eventually have to turn it over to the police, but in the meantime, they're checking it all out. And so get well, it sorted. I, yeah, it's, it's, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's just, it was just kind of, it was a fun thing to write, write for me. So yeah, was, hopefully people like it. Well, I think that's really interesting that in the two different series, you you took those varying approaches. And I mean, this is maybe a stereotype, but it brings to mind like the, you know, like Hardy Boys or Nancy Drew, yeah. like those stories that we loved when we were young, where it's, you could just pick one up, you know, you don't have to read the whole series to understand what's going on. And I think there's something beautiful about both the series where it's all progressive and you need to know what's going on and also the books that you can just pick up and you know enjoy it as a one-off oh I feel like there's a lot of nostalgia in this story <laughs> I love I love the Hardy Boys when I was a kid so yeah I feel like I love that whole brother dynamic there's the Hardy Boys and then I was a big I loved Supernatural like that TV show for as yeah. well so it was like oh. there's something about the I feel like I don't know I didn't I'm not a very romantic person so I didn't I kind of worried about okay having a male female sort of character because I thought as soon as you have a male female um, set of characters who aren't related automatically you start getting and as I found because I now have a female lead character in another series that I'm started but so I do find right away people are like oh what's gonna happen are they gonna get together and I didn't really want to do that, which is kind of why I, I went toward having these two brothers, because I thought, OK, it kind of pulls on like some of this, like you say, the nostalgia for me of having of these books I used to read and, you know, some of the shows that I, you know, have enjoyed watching. But it also just kind of lets me veer away from kind of turning it into this will they won't they <laughs> kind or of romance. Aspect. Yeah. Oh, that's OK. And I'm excited to hear you're already working. <laughs> something new of course so what is your daily writing process like do you have a specific schedule um you know I think that transition to kind of being full fully self-employed as an author there's so much flexibility which is a beautiful thing and having that autonomy but I'm sure there's a weight of responsibility to be disciplined with the creative writing process as well right yeah definitely because I I do have I I'm one of as a as a former journalist. I have still have a hard time saying former journalist. I don't think of myself as former somehow, but um, but yeah, as a former journalist, I I'm um, used to writing to deadlines. So I have this my editor for this series. She's basically on a three month schedule for me. Like we have three month, three month, three month. Um, more and she's essentially kind of expecting my manuscript at the end of that period. So I have a deadline firmed up all the time that I'm geared toward. So I know I have to have the book done by that time. So my my general trick is to make sure I write so many words generally per day or per week. So my I try to write, say, if I can, like my what I've sort of gone toward doing lately, just because I've sort of have increased production a little bit, is doing a, a chapter a day. Um, so that seems manageable to me generally it's a good thing I'm fairly quick writing so um so I feel like I can kind of make that work for me so it's, it's uh -huh. good but yeah I definitely need to have the deadlines otherwise yeah. it's easy to kind of you know get lazy and just kind of think but but yeah it is nice having the flexibility absolutely because I um like we have had a fair number of health problems in the family over the last while so it's like you know it, I like to be available to kind of 
um, help out when needed and drive people to appointments when needed and um, and all of that. So it's it's very helpful to um, have a job that lets me do that. I mean, plus, I mean, hey, <laughs> I've got, you know, I've had, you know, loved ones in hospital not so long ago. So it was like, okay, I can take my laptop and I can go and sit in the hospital room <laughs> with my laptop and and then just tap away and, you know, have a visit and tap and sell goods. So, so yeah, I can kind of do my job anywhere and now at any time. So it it's, it's, uh, I love that. <laughs> yeah. Well, especially after, you know, spending years in court and elsewhere, do you on a normal day, like, do you find you write best like nine to five or do you like do the morning? Like, do you have a time of day or is it just kind of depend on the day? Well, you know what I love is that when I was still working at the paper and trying to do do the writing, creative writing, um, turn it into a job too, um, I the only way I could do it was to get up at four or five in the morning and do all my creative writing before I started my day job because it was like I discovered at the end of my day job, I had no energy left. So my brain was drained, I mean, especially if I was covering like a really hard case, it would just be like, no, I just have to sit on my couch with, you know, whatever, <laughs> whatever I have for supper and just put on the TV and just disappear into whatever, yes. you know, silly program is on. Um, so that was kind of it. So I found I have to get up in the morning. So I used to get up four or five every morning, finish whatever, all my words for the day. Um, at that point and then I'd have my evenings for either just vegging and usually what I would do was um, because there's all the marketing and education and stuff that goes along with having your own business so so I had I did a lot of that in the evenings I do all my own covers so I would you know I would do some of that in the evening Um, like there's a lot I do quite a bit Um, so so yeah I'd have evenings free to kind of just veg and then do some of those other things that needed done um so it ended up being very long days so what I love now that I'm just doing this is that I don't have to get up at four or five but I am still definitely more of a morning writer so I kind of get up I have my coffee and um my dad and I do jigsaw puzzles a lot of the mornings too so it's like we'll do a little jigsaw and then um then I'll go and do my do my writing and and kind of get that all done and and uh yeah, so I'm generally kind of this I'm more kind of morning, yeah, afternoon. And by evening I'm just kind of ready. I can actually now have evenings to relax instead of doing, you know, more work. <laughs> so it's yeah, really nice. You've earned that. Good for you. Know. <laughs> do Love you it. how do you take care of yourself while you're writing? Like do you get up and take breaks or do you just kind of pit in and go for it? Cause I'm sure once you get in that flow state too, it's hard to want to yeah. you know, pull yourself out of it. Yeah, that's the tricky part. I know I have to remind myself of that because I, um, it was it was really tricky because I actually had, I finally went and got my eyes fixed because I've had glasses since I was in grade four and I went, what was it, a couple years ago now? It was shortly after I left the paper anyway. And I went and got my, um, get got eye surgery done and I know it was one of the first things, of course, they say, now you can't be on the computer for, you know, for a while here. And they, you had all these rules you had to follow, like no screen time for a few days and then when he were then he had to take breaks and so yeah it was okay I gotta make sure I remember to you know first of all don't write anything for a while and then second um when I am sitting down I have to remember to kind of get up and let my eyes have rests so 
So, um, and I mean, now that they're all healed, I still try to stick to that. I still try to get up so often and do that. What I love right now, because I've got this exercise bike um, that my physiotherapist suggested I get as an exercise I could do that wouldn't injure me. Um, I I have to review. I've got an audiobook I'm reviewing right now for um, so that I have to get up. Um, so my my producer narrator had sent me the files. So I'm reviewing those right now. And so every morning right now I'm getting up and I'm reviewing a chapter while I'm on the bike. So, <laughs> so that's handy. So it's uh, so basically, um, yeah, I'm doing a good, you know, 20 to 30 minutes generally now every morning. And it's definitely making a difference um, in terms of my energy and strength and fixing my poor knee, which I screwed up. So, <laughs> so it's been going well that way. Multitasking. I love that. <laughs> um, and when you like start a story, do you have like the storyline kind of all plotted out before you sit down and write? Or do you just kind of fly by the seat of your pants and it happens organically? Do you know like where the end is before you get started? I wish I was a plotter. I wish I was. I did. You know what? I did that once and I and I really enjoyed it. Like I, I liked it because, okay, I would look at, I had my whole plot line laid out and every morning I would get up and, okay, I know what I have to write today and I'll write that. And it actually went really smoothly and I got the book done really fast. But my brain doesn't work that way. It was just like one project that just happened to work out okay. But generally what I find is if I think I know what's happening with the story, I'm wrong. <laughs> I'll start writing it. Like, I, I think I know who who the killer is. But then I'll kind of be writing along the week. That, that person didn't do it. It's this other person. And I'll be surprised. And I find like, actually, that's probably a good way to write a mystery, honestly, because it's like, if I'm surprised, then hopefully the reader will be surprised too. And yeah, you don't want to be glued to that plot line. Yeah. So I do find like, I, I think one of the most fun parts of writing for me is that the characters do become real. Um, they do become real people. And so they start to tell you things that they are going to do or that they have done. Mm -hmm. um, so you're occasionally kind of surprised by who this person actually is like you think you know who they are and as the story progresses it's like they kind of pull you off in a different direction so the times I have plotted I've often or tried to plot I've often had to kind of go back and go okay I gotta fix this because this is not happening now so I kind of gave up for the most part most of the time I just do it by the seat of my pants and it's just how, no, it, how it goes yeah well, I mean, and I would I would think like how you're doing the series with the kind of independent reads that that works really well, maybe something where it's progressive, you know, you have to have that common thread, like you said, that underlying story arc where, you know, you have to keep coming back to it. I always imagine like, you know, Harry Potter, like books like that, where they're so long and there's so many years between that, I'm, I'm like the just the mental load of having to keep those varying storylines going as an author. I mean, I don't know. I don't know how you, this is why you're the professional. <laughs> I am just here to read. Do you have any desire to like see your books as a TV series or a film? Well, that's, it would always be fun, wouldn't it? I mean, I know I've had, I've had some readers tell me that it would be really fun to see it as a TV series. And I mean, who wouldn't want that, right? I mean, that'd be cool. I guess the only risk you got to get into is anytime somebody sort of, you know, 
supports you to have you know your books turned into a show that you end up having to sort of sign your rights away to it and I feel I don't know I think part of the reason I went into independent publishing is because I'm a control freak <laughs> I love having complete creative control I honestly didn't even look into traditional publishing like going you know querying and trying to find an agent and trying to find a publisher I didn't look into any of that because it was like I just wanted to do it myself and have all of the control over what I'm doing plus I mean honestly make the money because yeah. I make I make way more in royalties than like a person would if they were traditionally published so um it, it's it's one of those things I don't know it's like I, I definitely be interested to to who wouldn't be interested to see their stuff turned into a show yeah. but you know it's not come up yet basically and who knows <laughs> lots of times it never like does, it's, so. it's coming um yeah and I mean you really are an entrepreneur because like you mentioned it's not only the writing it's everything that comes with the publishing covers promotion I know you have such a you know, depth of relationship with your readers as well, which you're fostering those relationships and, you know, the virtual side of things like that mm -hmm. is all a big part of it as well. Right. So what is the relationship like with your readers? Because it feels like you just have such a strong connection with these, you know, the people who love your books and love the characters so much. No, I know. I, I just, I'm so lucky in the people who read um, my books. Like I, I remember when I left journalism and I was like, well, you know, the, one of the toughest things for me is that I felt like I was leaving a job that had this huge purpose. Like I felt like, okay, every morning I'd wake up and I'd be like, okay, I, you know what? I've got a purpose. Um, I'm giving a voice to people who don't have a voice otherwise. And I mean, there was this, you know, I think I just, I had that sort of feeling about it that I was making maybe, it was making a difference in a way. Not every day. Some days you feel like you're just, you know, somewhere disappearing into a void somewhere. But um, but I did feel like, you know, most days like, OK, I'm making a difference to somebody's life, um, you know, letting them speak, um, giving them a way to speak, um, to share, maybe share stories about their loved ones. I mean, whatever it might be. Um, but I I don't know when I went into sort of left that and I went into just writing novels, I was like, you know, what am I, you know, I, I love doing it. Don't get me wrong. I always, I always wanted to do it, but I felt like, have I lost that purpose? Right. And it's interesting. Like almost immediately I started getting emails from readers who were sharing their stories about their own losses, about suffering losses of loved ones. And I think, I think when you're writing about the way I write, because I've got ghosts in it, right. I've got these ghosts of homicide victims. Um, and they're very real people in, in these books. I think it's like what I'm hearing from some readers, it almost like kind of gives them a bit of hope. Like there's that escapism it gives a lot of people when they need that escape. But for people who have suffered losses, I think there's a certain amount of hope thinking that, you know, about this this idea of an afterlife. Um, and so I've heard a lot of stories from readers who, you know, have shared with me I mean it's amazing the things that the, some of them have shared with me and I, I just it's such a blessing because I feel like okay I do have a purpose still and I think that's that's been massive I mean I still am giving a voice to people it's a different way of doing it like I you know I'm obviously not interviewing anybody I'm not kind of you know publishing somebody's true words these are all made up but in a sense I mean the 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 feelings that I'm 
writing about are real feelings. Um, the experiences I'm writing about are real experiences that other people have had. And, and I know I've heard from people who have said that that's helped them deal with the loss. And like, I think like what a blessing as a writer to have somebody say that that is like the ultimate compliment. I mean, it just, yeah, I remember the first few times I just started crying because I was like, Oh my God, like, like I still have, you know, there's still that, that very real, um purpose to to you know to basically what I do and and I think that was really important for me to hear so I so absolutely I mean I've got um a really great relationship with with many readers and I I just love every time I get emails from them and messages on Facebook and they're just absolutely lovely people almost almost all of them are just lovely I've I've rarely which is one of the best parts rarely now do I get negative emails and comments like that is a complete turnaround (laughs) yes and I mean it is it is such important work you're giving people an outlet you're giving people community and you're using everything you learned through those you know 2021 years and I'm just so happy that you are doing something that you love and fills your cup now thank you every single day and you mentioned the word escapism which of course you know we often seek entertainment for that decompression so what are you reading and listening and watching these days when you need that mental break is it still a lot of like British crime do you have different (laughs) genres that you gravitate to Oh yeah, I yeah, I, I still love my British crime stuff. I, I I always have an Ian Rankin on the go somewhere. It's Peter, I've actually got some some um Peter May that I'm reading. Um, so I've I've always got too many things on the go. Mark Dawson, um, who's the fellow who uh, ran who runs the course that I took that helped me, you know, that got me started basically in self publishing. He's a thriller writer, so I've been reading his his uh, stuff re- quite recently. Um, I read a little bit of ghost fiction, but not nearly as much as I should. I, I tend to, in the evenings, just to veg out, I put on YouTube and I find these like ghost, um, ghosts or spooky related videos and things like true, like based on true stories. I actually find, cause I, I, I can almost consider it work in a way because it's like, yeah. kind of, I find some inspiration there too. It's like, oh, that would be a really cool thing to write about or, you know, so, um, so that's kind of what I kind of veg out with in my spare time I love it that is so cool I mean I feel like yeah this is so such an inspiring conversation because you've literally created your dream job and you give that hope you know to to everyone else I mean I feel like I'm very blessed to be living my dream job so I want to be mindful of your time but I have to ask you a few rapid fire questions uh, before we go so the first being who is your biggest role model um well, I think my parents have always been huge role models for me. I've been so blessed. Like, I think one of the things that I notice from sitting in court for 20 years is how awful some people's home situations are. And I mean, I've always felt lucky. I don't think I've ever, you know, not appreciated the family that I had growing up. And um, so I, but definitely when, you know, you walk in that world for a while and you you watch what others' experiences are, um, it makes you appreciate we have that much more. Um, so I think absolutely, I think I still kind of feel like my parents are my role models. I mean, they're just wonderful people and and I've been so lucky that way. So I know it seems like meh, maybe a nerdy no. answer. <laughs> Not at all. I always I've say been fortunate. Like, 
cliches are cliche for a reason. What a, <laughs> what a beautiful thing to know that. What is the best advice you've ever received? Oh boy. Well, um, well, follow your dreams. I mean, I, my, my, you know, my grandma who I miss so much. I mean, like she's, I grew up on the same farm as she was on and she was, she was on those people, you know, she used to say like, if you see something, you know, if you see something or you want to do something, grab it. She, she used to say, um, so anyways, really close with her and she was just such a wonderful, oh, such a sweet lady. So, um, yeah, like I feel like that and my parents were like that too. I mean, it was when I wanted to go in, when I wanted to pursue, um, writing books, um, I, I, I don't know. I, I've heard from so many fellow authors cause I'm in a bunch of Facebook groups and there's so many other authors who've had their families were just like, what are you doing that for? Why would you leave, you know, a job where you're making an income and a set income every month and a paycheck and, you know, to do something that, you know, you don't know how much you're going to make and blah, blah, blah. Well, I was, I never had that. I had right from the start and I'm not just, not just my parents, but everybody in my family, I've, my good aunts and uncles, they, they religiously buy my books. There's, you know, my brother and sister-in-law have been so supportive and put, you know, said, why are you still working? You <laughs> know, at that old other job when you're so stressed and so everybody in my family has just been incredibly supportive and and my friends and no so I I think the best advice I've had along the way is to follow um you know follow what I want to do and follow my dreams so it's worked out nice um okay well this one is funny to ask you as an author best book or resource you'd recommend obviously we're going to recommend all of yours which will link on my website but that's yeah, pretty other like a book that you feel like has changed your life that you would recommend oh my that's a good question oh god that's a hard question because i read so many and i mean to be honest i think most of the books I think one of the ones that I I really found influential as a writer was Stephen King's on writing quite frankly Mm -hmm. um he's got like it was just sort of an amazing um like an amazing book just sort of outlining like why and why he writes how he writes and all of that and as a writer I did find it really inspirational it was sort of the whole you know putting your your butt in the chair and you know like if you don't read you can't you know be a good writer and you know you know so just he he's just sort of quite an inspirational and especially since you know he had that really horrible accident and you know he um a number of years back and just about died and he was in like horrible horrible pain and he was still pushing himself to write all the time and I thought okay even on you know but on the, the days when I maybe don't want to you know some days you just don't want to do things but um I thought okay if he can put his butt in the chair when he's having a miserable day then why the heck can't I so I just was say reading a book or no I was listening to a podcast and someone was talking about how Stephen King uses like an alarm to signify like time to start writing like right disciplined on it um okay and personal mantra or words you live by Oh boy, it's a good one. Um, hmm. Well, I think probably it would just go back to the idea of kind of following your dreams, right? I mean, I think, I think it's one of those things. If if I'm not, it doesn't it doesn't necessarily work out for everybody. I mean, I I've definitely been lucky. Um, I I don't know if everybody is lucky enough to be able to do that, but I think I think 
I always sort of think if if you've got something that you are really good at and and that you really want to do, I mean, find a way to make it happen. Um, you know, I mean, I've always wanted to write. I always knew I wanted to write and I've always written. I mean, as a job, I was lucky enough to turn it into two jobs that I adored, you know. So, um, so yeah, I just think figure out what you're good at, figure out what you love and figure out how to make it happen. Yes. And I think too, like, it's so inspiring to know you start a brand new career, you know, 20 years after you had chosen your start. I think it's, you know, it's, there's never a good or bad time to pivot, you know, following your passion. So, well, thank you. And most importantly for everyone who wants to follow you, what you've got going on new books at, as they're coming out, where can they find you? Um, easiest place, probably just my website. It's hpbain.com. So that's my pen name. <laughs> so hpbain.com. Um, so yeah. And I'll link it all on my website. I can't wait to <laughs> start reading. Like you've inspired me to get back into reading fiction. So I'm very excited. <laughs> I just can't thank you enough for inspiring me and all of the listeners and taking the time to be with here, us here today. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for having me. It was fun chatting with you. It's my pleasure. That's all the time we have together this week. Thank you so much for being here with Heather and I. Please don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode every Sunday. You can find me on Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook at KY Wellness. More details about all episodes can be found at kywellness.ca under the podcast tab. Don't forget to move your body, nourish your body, be kind to yourself, be kind to others, follow your dreams. See you next week and keep yourself well.